0: the Woman by Definition podcast. This week I talk to Dr. Joanna Williams. She is the director of the think tank CEO, a regular columnist for Spiked, and writes frequently for The Mail, The Telegraph, and The Spectator. Joanna's writing focuses mainly on education, children, feminism, and the changing views of gender. Her books include Academic Freedom in an Age of Conformity, and Women versus Feminism, Why We All Need Liberating, the gender wars Uh, it's a great chat and please don't forget to like share and subscribe thank you so much for agreeing to come on Uh, i must say (laughs) you're welcome i have been looking at some of your stuff now i don't know if you know but i probably called myself a feminist for relatively short spell of my life um and let's dive straight into that so did you ever call did you fall out with feminism or were you never did you never fall in love with it in the first place
1: i think probably you know i don't i don't i never had a kind of feminist badge or anything like that or belong to a feminist group but i think I probably wouldn't have ever denied being a feminist. I think it was just assumed. So I came from a very political family. My mother was very um, political and wanted her daughters to be political as well. And I definitely picked up when I was a kid growing up that there'd be a sense of almost letting the side down if I wasn't a feminist and just the kind of cliche that if you were um, a young woman who wanted to be ambitious to get on in the world, then, of course, that meant that you were a feminist. And I think I wouldn't have actively gone out of my way to describe myself as a feminist, but I probably wouldn't have denied it either, if somebody had used that label towards me and said oh well you are a feminist I think I probably would have just nodded along and agreed with it and it's probably really only probably in about the past 10 years or so that I would have been much more proactive in challenging that assumption.
0: So was there a significant moment that you sort of thought this is ridiculous?
1: I think, I mean, there was certainly a moment on my, I did an MA in education when my um, two oldest boys were still very young. I think I was trying to get back into teaching and just worrying a little bit that I didn't have a career anymore. And there was definitely an incident on that course that sticks out in my mind when we'd been looking at the educational differences between boys and girls and really what I discovered from that was the extent to which girls were really outperforming boys at school and doing so much better and I'd been a teacher myself for a number of years before that so I again I just kind of accepted that that met with kind of matched my assumptions that I'd seen in the classroom but then what I couldn't understand and what I struggled with was that in the the taught MA the lessons that we were having were all about how to Get girls to be even better <laughs> if you like and how girls needed more attention in the classroom and uh, girls needed particular focus on science and girls it was all about girls and it just didn't make sense and I was kind of thinking so hang on a minute girls are doing so much better than boys we acknowledge this and yet rather than focusing on what can we do to bring up the standard of boys we're spending all the time thinking about girls and when I tried to challenge this with the the lecturers and say well why is this the case the only answer that they could come up with was well you know really this is just to address our historical imbalance so there was lots of times in the past when girls weren't doing so well and nobody bothered nobody was really that concerned so now we know girls are doing better but we still want to put more time and energy into girls because hey that's what you do if you're a feminist and all the women teaching it was all women who were teaching me and yeah I just like I so just seemed a real logic gap that I couldn't get my head around so I think that was one real kind of wake-up call for me
0: right I mean I've heard this a lot and since I've not called myself a feminist although I don't think I ever got a badge either but since not calling myself a feminist uh, I think a lot of men are very very happy about women who speak against feminism um, they become sort of somewhat champions Uh, in men's eyes. But going, really looking at education, what is it that is making boys not perform? I mean, in your research, have you worked out what it is? Yeah,
1: I think it's a whole host of different things. And I mean, you can look at the forms of assessment, which have changed very, very recently. But there was a big drop in boys performance when um, GCSEs changed from being exams to much more of an emphasis on coursework. And I think there's perhaps something about boys, particularly when they're teenagers, where the competition and it's kind of you um, pitting your wits against other people in the exam hall, and just that kind of sudden death pressure where you can be a lazy pig for kind of 10 years and then pull it all out of the bag in six weeks before the exams I think boys kind of liked that pressure and girls didn't really so that was one big moment when um the switch to coursework where I certainly in my own experience both as a teacher and what I remember I was I was the first year of GCSEs where it did go over to much more coursework Um, you know there's a lot of emphasis on kind of being neat (laughs) um having nice presentation being diligent and conscientious and kind of an ability to jump through hoops which seems to suit girls a lot more and boys seem to find it a lot more challenging so that's one thing but one thing i worry about even more kind of than that is just a sense in a profession which is really really dominated by women so the vast majority of primary school teachers are women you know most secondary school teachers are women you know this is yeah. a profession which is dominated by women at every level there's almost a problematizing of boys right from the very, very first time that they started school. And it comes with this idea of, of kind of obedience and um, kind of sitting still, sitting nicely, being good. Um, It's kind of privileged a a lot more over being boisterous, having energy, wanting to run around, wanting to shout out answers and boys in that regard just come to be seen as a real kind of problem to be managed Rather than the kind of star performers in the classroom, I think think that's really
0: sad. Well, um, looking back at my own school, I I think we did have a lot of sitting down and not too much boisterous. And at at that time, boys were doing well. Um, I see the overwhelming issue with all schools is discipline, uh, and I wonder whether or not the lack of discipline actually doesn't suit boys. Um, and it suits girls because we are much more likely to be peer pressured into behaving well and that's expected from birth so-called. Do you think that in boy-only schools uh, that boys thrive better and is the discipline far more structured or am I completely off target?
1: No I think there's a a lot of truth in what you're saying there but I think Perhaps the way I've been putting it is perhaps not the best way. I think perhaps what's going on in schools today is there's a real emphasis on emotion and a kind of emotional correctness. So it's almost like an emotional discipline rather than um, a a strict instruction discipline, a kind of order. So I completely agree with you that boys respond respond very well to clear instructions. You will sit down, you will stay sat in your seat for 10 minutes and then in one hour it will be playtime and you can go and run around on the field as much as you like whereas what's being suggested I think in schools nowadays is much a much more kind of empathetic approach where the discipline is still there but it's Mm far less um, in your face if you like it's not so structured it's not so clear but children are expected to sit on the mat to play nicely to be kind and respond in a kind of emotionally correct way and I think possibly some boys find it much more difficult to work out where the boundaries lie in that kind of environment whereas girls I think have been almost socialized into knowing how to be nice be kind I don't think they always are but I think they're just (laughs) much more they're just much better at kind of knowing how to appear that way and how to look as if
0: (laughs) being nice and being kind it's funny that you say that I mean I noticed so I've got boys and girls so I have been familiar with uh, my oldest is 18 my youngest is 11 and I can tell you from my experience that girls are much more covert about the way that they bully and they manage people badly very badly it's it's shameful and the young so my youngest son is also having some experience of that with boys now whereas my older two sons it wasn't like that. If a boy didn't like you, he'd just probably say something mean, but actually boys don't really care. Um, and I wonder if this enforcement of what you talk about with the emotional kind of conformity, whether actually the worst of girls, which is the covert, manipulative, nasty, side-eye stuff, is now being forced onto the way that boys interact also. Is that, is that something that you found? yeah I think you're right and you can see this with a lot of the
1: anti-bullying initiatives for example that schools are forced to run nowadays and if you speak to any primary school teachers they'll always tell you that they never ever have more complaints about bullying than during anti-bullying week because immediately you're kind of making kids aware of bullying um, as a kind of label that they can apply to a certain type of behavior and what you also do is you define bullying for them so again when I was at school you know I don't want to make out like it was the good old days or anything but bullying was if somebody kicked you you know or if somebody pushed you it was a very clear kind of physical um, thing of bullying or it, it could be like really bad persistent verbal abuse but you were you were clear that it was something really quite extreme Whereas what kids are told nowadays is that bullying, you know, it can be not, not even if somebody says something to you, just if you feel left out, if Mm. someone doesn't look at you, if someone's playing a game, but they don't include you in the game. (laughs) Suddenly then kids are given this label for all these different kinds of behaviors. And not only that, but they're then told that the way to deal with this is not to deal with it yourself, but to go and tell the teacher and get the Mm. teacher. And again, girls are very, very good at doing that. And I think the natural kind of resilience of boys, which would be quite a positive thing, um, that they would perhaps want to sort it out themselves. Or, you know, at risk of saying something very, very controversial here, you know, a quick kick. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it can be over and done with in five minutes. Then everybody makes friends, makes up, and it's forgotten about. Whereas with the side eyes and the kind of leaving out can go on for weeks and months without reaching any mm. kind of resolution.
0: And it can go under and even if you report it, teachers don't see it because that's the nature of the covert side the covert side eye and ostracization, which actually is kind of a group thing that girls will get. Um I've noticed with women generally, um having worked a very long time ago, if I had a bad male boss, this is such a terrible thing to say as a female, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, if I had a bad male boss, he was generally an awful human to everyone. If I had a bad female boss, she targeted just one individual. And it's it's all, I don't know where, you're gonna answer this for me, I'm hoping. <laughs> where does it come from that we women ostracize uh do covert behaviors and kind of really learn very early on that this is the way to manage conflict which is not managing it at all um and men don't do that what is it because feminists will tell you it's because of the patriarchy and the fact that we're socialized to be so nice and we're so, we want to be seen so lovely that we can't with conflict but I think that's
1: a crock what 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 do you think? I don't know it's a really difficult question I mean evolutionary psychologists would probably say one answer that this is kind of in our genes that women are programmed to respond in this way as you say feminists would probably say this is more to do with our socialization I mean my guess is it's probably a mixture of lots and lots of different things and it's much more about I think what you different types of behavior that you get positive reinforcement for in society whether that's in the home in the first context um or even you know when well when you go to school so um one example i always keep coming back to is to do with handwriting how um girls will kind of self-police each other at school like oh you've got nice handwriting in a way that boys would never ever do and so having nice handwriting kind of gives you some status as a girl and then not it's not only other children but teachers themselves will judge work more highly if the handwriting seems to be nicer you know you it's a terrible Mm -hmm. thing to confess and i'm confessing this as you know, teacher who's no doubt done this 17 times myself in the past, you see a page that's nice and beautifully presented and you immediately think, oh, this is good. So there's a lot of positive reinforcement for the behavior that girls demonstrate. But on the kind of bad behavior, the bitchy behavior, if you like, I, I, like I say, I don't know where that comes from other than that, if more aggressive over behavior carries more of a penalty. Um, for women and girls than it does for boys but I think to me what's really important right now is just the very fact that you admit that and you know we kind of say quite frankly as women that other women can are not perfect you know and um, can be very badly behaved because I think one thing that um, shocks me about the coronavirus is how discussion about this has become very gendered so I mean just to give one example you know when people look at leadership and want to criticize Boris Johnson you've got these daft reports going around that all the countries that have handled coronavirus best are led by women as if women leaders kind of women somehow have this innate uh, I don't know it must be in the vagina somewhere this kind of leadership quality <laughs> Yeah, you know, that kind of comes out mm. and makes them naturally able to deal with a crisis like coronavirus better than male leaders and it's absolute bollocks you know mm. and these reports miss out so many distinctions about the different countries that
0: are involved and you know mm. all kinds of mistakes well like a spread out country with less than five million people <laughs> in comparison absolutely. to ours absolutely
1: I mean it's just ridiculous um but what it does is it's kind of said in a very feminist way, like, oh, you know, all these women leaders, they're so brilliant, but it actually reinforces stereotypes. It reinforces this idea that women are so consensual and lovely and, you know, we just have group hugs and then yeah. everyone's all right and um, we're much better than men in that regard and it's just rubbish.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, going back to what you said about schools, um, it will be very interesting this year because obviously there have been no exams. How boys fare, whether there's a dip with boys and maybe, um, even though this year will be sacrificed, uh, maybe that will have a good impact on the way that we see boys in education. Actually, if they really do so terribly badly on their predicted grades by their teachers, maybe that will have an impact on, on schools.
1: I think you're right. It would definitely be
0: really interesting to see this because
1: um, from my memory of the data, you know, girls started doing better than boys a good 25, 27 years ago now. But it's just in the past couple of years with Michael Gove's reforms, where a lot of the coursework was ditched and more emphasis on exams, that boys did start pulling back a little bit. And Uh in some subjects, boys were beginning to do better once more. Um, Not that I want boys to do better. You know, I'd like boys and girls both to be doing equally well. I don't see it as a kind of zero sum game where one has to do better at the expense of the other. Mm -hmm. Um, But it'd be really interesting to see if after a couple of years of, of kind of slightly Having narrowed the gap um, where the boys do go back down now that it is teacher assessment and handwriting has more of an influence.
0: Yeah well the boys don't even have um, so I remember what my my kids went to Montessori for preschool which is I think it should be up to the end of primaries that everybody does in Montessori education because it's phenomenal and you learn just as much if not more but you choose your own method of learning basically it's child-led but it's not weird, it's not like Steiner um but they we have better um uh control of our fingers, so women are girls are better at handwriting because we have better control, like you can see in a, the way that a boy would use a pipette so you, they, we've already had all that all that time where we could control our hands until about puberty when boys get stronger um but we can do that, so it's you know maybe um computers are going to help uh boys in exam situations also so, yeah perhaps <laughs> <laughs> let's get on to your um, your victim focused feminism because i am so 100% with you um so can you tell people what what your issue is with feminism in 2020
1: Yes, yeah, so I think for a few years now, it, it's just been this one message that is really in stark contrast to reality. And if you could sum it up, I, I would say that being a woman is shit. <laughs> That's <laughs> Come out from feminists all the time. You know, um, we're sexually harassed every time we leave our house. Um, we are paid less than men. We have to pay more for pink razor blades than blue razor blades. Um, You know, and it's just like this litany of horror, daily horror that's presented to women as kind of the reality of their lives. And again, you see it during coronavirus. It's kind of bizarre that men are, there is a real biological difference here. Men are way more likely to end up in hospital. Men are way more likely to die from coronavirus. And yet we've had story after story. Story about how shit this is for women who are now having to do so much more domestic work around the house and um you know being sent back to the 1950s but i mean you know there is more work there definitely is more work for everybody when you're at home but coronavirus doesn't come with a rule book you know there wasn't mm. a handbook posted through everybody's house that said you know and the women must do this work um you know families can decide this for themselves and you know I'm not saying there is no gender divide on this but people have to kind of own some responsibility Ah. for how they do organize and you know sometimes women make these decisions because they want to have that element of control in the home or you know they they want to take charge of certain things or you know it's just a calculation within your family that the man is the one who still needs to be going out to work because he's got a different type of job or you know his job can't be done from home or you know he's not been furloughed or whatever but I think that's just really symptomatic of the message that feminism tells women nowadays that every aspect of life um, like I said almost from the moment you're born to the moment you die from the moment you leave your house to the moment you go to bed at night is terrible and it's far worse for women than it is for men and Not only is this kind of so negative, um, but it also just bears very, very little relationship to reality nowadays. I think things have changed enormously. I mean, I I certainly would not say um, that men and women have always enjoyed equality. I mean, um, I know. I know enough about history to know that there certainly was a time in the past when women really, really um, did come across legal back when women couldn't vote, for example, when it was perfectly legal to uh, call women um, school mistresses and men school masters and have two different pay scales. But, you know, these are things from 100 years ago, from... 40, 50, 60 years ago, this is not life today. And yet still you pick up The Guardian, you know, you look at a woman's magazine, you look at suggested lesson plans for teachers in schools, you look at all these campaigns and all the publicity that they get um, on the BBC, you know, uh, campaigning. And it is all about how terrible life is for women. And, uh, you know, I just think, It's a really bad message to send, particularly to girls growing up nowadays, and really the message that would be much more positive would be saying, look at all these opportunities that you've got, all these different um, chances that women of previous generations didn't have, and how you can go out there and you can make a real impact on the world, Mm. um, rather than just kind of bombarding them with all these, many of which don't even stack up when they're examined properly.
0: So if we if we take that as read, that that there are equal opportunities. I mean, I don't work, and my husband didn't have the opportunity not to work, but I frankly think women may make better mothers to very small children, which is probably not a very popular view. Um, and uh, we know that girls are more likely to be sexually assaulted and have sexual harassment at school, and I would say that bears out anecdotally as well as the sort of statistics that I've read. We also know that girls fear harassment and sexual harassment in schools more than boys, but that might be because it does actually happen. And that happens from quite a young age. Like even my own daughter has had the most disgusting thing said to her when she was 11 and even in primary school about her anatomy. So if feminism is not the answer, i mean you may you may disagree that that that's even true but if feminism isn't the answer to this which i think it probably isn't what is the answer to the sexualized way that society views even quite young girls
1: so I think just to kind of unpick a few different points there. Um, so I certainly agree with you. And again, you know, I've, my daughter's 14, and I'd be very naive to say sexual harassment never ever happens. And, you know, I'm certainly not saying that. But I think there is a, a Choice in society of which crimes we focus upon, so certainly when it comes to um, violent crime, men are young men especially teenage boys are far far more likely um, to be victims of, of violent crime um, yet you know you certain stories kind of become flavor of the month in with the media and seem to attract a lot more attention um, so if a boy and a girl the same age were to walk back from town by themselves late at night, um, the young man is likely, far more likely than the young woman to be a victim of any kind of crime whatsoever, Mm. be it a mugging or a, you know, violent crime, an assault, anything. And yet, Again, we have a lot more focus on crimes affecting women, on specifically on harassment. I think a bit like I was saying about bullying earlier, there has been a much more expansive definition of harassment in recent years. So again, at one point, sexual harassment would be quite a narrowly defined crime. You know, mm. it would be groping, or um, you know, a very specific. Crime. Again, nowadays it can some some young women, surveys of young women, um, see winking as an example of sexual harassment or wolf whistling as an as an example of sexual harassment. And I think the problem with, with that is it then leads to these very, very inflated claims that, you know, yeah. 85% of women have been sexually harassed. Whereas if winking and whistling are examples of sexual harassment, you know, I then kind of think, wow, only 85% of women, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What happened to the 15%? Exactly,
1: exactly. (laughs) But, you know, again, the message that we want to, I think, give to young women is that if somebody does wink at you or whistle at you, you don't need to like it. You don't need to enjoy it. You know, no one's saying that whatsoever. But at the same time, it's not going to traumatize you. I'm sure Mm. some name calling, some verbal harassment, absolutely, particularly if it's relentless, if it's made in a very intimidating way, definitely is something that needs to be dealt with. Um, But I think we do need to give girls a certain degree of resilience and just say, look, if a man at a bus stop winks at you, look the other way, tell him to F off, you know, Mm. don't do anything. Um, So what do we do about it then? You know, I think there really is a place for resilience um, in young women. Um, Just before the whole coronavirus pandemic broke, I was teaching a group of American students in London and I was teaching about feminism. And one of them came up to me at the end of the class and she said um, her father had sent her to do self-defense classes. Um, she was kind of doing karate or something like this. And she thought this was the most wonderful thing she'd ever done in her life. And she felt so empowered. And she just would feel so confident now walking down the street late at night, and she didn't feel as if anybody could touch her. She, she really felt so confident in her own skin. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. And she said, well, what she couldn't understand is why feminism didn't really recommend this for all young women. You know, Mm. why? Why weren't all 14, 15 year olds going out and kind of learning karate? Hopefully, would never, ever need to use it. But just for the degree of confidence it gave you. And I said to her, you know, at one point in the kind of 70s and 80s, this really was a trend in feminism where women did go out and learn self-defense. But since then, it's become really frowned upon because it's seen as victim-blaming that you're kind of letting rapists off the hook if you learn self-defense methods if you learn karate then you're kind of saying well why are we not telling young men not to rape as if it's an either or you know as if yeah yeah women mm. learning karate is kind of saying hey men you know go out and rape because mm. women they can defend themselves I think personally I think it is possible to do both um but I think just having that degree of of confidence of resilience about knowing how to handle yourself is no bad thing at all and it shouldn't be frowned upon but then I think there's also a case for collective a collective response as well as much as we can so um, certainly if I ever ever got wind that there was somebody at the bus stop looking at my daughter in the wrong way you know I'd be there for myself I would be standing at that bus stop the next day and I'd be saying can you point out who this is please and I'd go and
0: poke his eyes out <laughs> <laughs> I must say uh, I'm that sort of mother too um, but I've I mean I, I've definitely had more than one situation where I have literally been surrounded I've been sober I've gone to an art gallery like something in Bristol and I've come out and a group of men have just circled around me now that same group of men might have circled around a bloke and that man might have thought he's going to get his head kicked in but I'd certainly had had that experience where you had to I had to decide um what do they want from me if I tell them to go stick it are they gonna then start Is it going to escalate? Um, If I try and break through them, are they going to stop? If I ignore them, are they just going to continue? And it was literally a group. I had a red jacket on. So they obviously were singing Lady in Red because men are so incredibly humorous. (laughs) And I think when, because most of my friends have had some sort of experience of that, where you are in a bit of a, a very tricky situation and women don't do it to men. And men do it to men and men do it to women. But women don't, really do that to either sex I think that's the the distinction and that's why something needs to happen I just don't know what and I agree with you that it isn't feminism but I you know those situations do happen to people all the time They,
1: they, they do. You know, and again, I'm not going to deny that at all. Um, I do think, you know, clearly, if a crime is committed against you, then you, you definitely should be going to the police and um, having police involvement in that. Um, you know, again, I think the more you can carry yourself with a degree of assertiveness and confidence, the better. And constantly hyping up you know, something terrible is going to happen to you has the opposite effect. It makes women Mm. carry themselves more nervously and not be able to carry themselves with confidence. But I also think, um, you know, perhaps I'm just speaking about my own um, two sons who are 21 and 19 here. Um, I think there is a danger that we can overstate um, the terror of, of men and Like I said, I don't want to be, I don't want to come across as naive and suggest that bad situations never, ever happen and sexual harassment never happens. And suddenly, you know, there's times in my own life where I could describe some hairy situations I found myself in. But it seems to me nowadays that suddenly a lot of younger men are actually really quite nervous around women. And, um, you know, perhaps that changes after they've had a few beers and it's late at night and they're in a group but in the general kind of day-to-day course of life, are very wary, it seems to me, about mm. approaching women and the kind of caricature of the wolf whistling, leering. You know, again, not saying this never happens for, for any any stretch at all, but it seems a lot of the young men who I see would kind of run a mile before doing anything like that Mm. you know they'd be so scared about being shamed by their friends or it would just not really cross their mind to behave in that way in the first place
0: yeah well younger generation they're not really they're not having much sex they're not getting very drunk they're not doing they're not they're not mixing and making mistakes with each other either which i think is really dangerous that they're just playing out inconsequential stuff online which is, I think, why we are where we are as a society with very frightened uh, kids. I mean, I I totally take your point. I don't think I've really thought about the the nervousness of quite young men around women. And I've got two young men, but they're, you know, they're, they're, yeah, I, I take your point. Um...
1: So I think, sorry, just jumping in on what you were saying about um, social media and technology and young people not really having as much sex nowadays as people might have done in the past. I do think that's one of the most terrible things about coronavirus, about the current kind of lockdown situation. It's like in the space of 24 hours, people went from having a a panic, you know, with some justification about the amount of time young people were spending using mobile phones, about the idea that young people retreat into their bedrooms. and only communicate with each other through their phones and the kind of lack of interaction that young people engage in face-to-face interaction to suddenly, like in the space of 24 hours, kind of pushing kids into their bedroom and kind of get on your phone, you know, communicate this way. Um, And I, I just, I really, really do hope that when all the lockdown's lifted, that young people are encouraged back out of their bedrooms and to put their phones down and to really engage in with people in a face-to-face way
0: yeah i certainly think my kids are going to be out as much as humanly possible um another game at the table (laughs) another game at the table might push them over the edge (laughs) Uh, so we've discussed education small children going through obviously boys are doing less well than they should be at gcse's potentially a levels and then we get into academia which has fallen on its pink glittery sword quite some time ago when do you think it changed and do you think it's the feminist kind of chariot that that drove through academia and ruined it and and how is it so?
1: Yeah that's really really great question I mean in terms of a date when things changed I don't think I don't think there was um I don't think there was ever really a golden age that you could point to where you could say, you know, everything's so brilliant um, and there is academic freedom. um, And I think things have changed very, very gradually. And it's kind of like the lobster in the pot. You know, you don't quite realise. you know, until the water is absolutely boiling or whatever. You know, there's some <laughs> saying there. I'm sure, I'm thinking of the frog in the boiling water or
0: whatever. Oh, that's how you cook a <laughs> lobster. Like I'm sure they don't notice either.
1: <laughs> um, but I don't. I don't think you could like say, or you know, it was this particular date or anything like that. I think it's been a gradual process over many, many years, if not decades, of um, a kind of subtle change. And I think it is it is a change, a change of emphasis. So I think you did have um, censorship coming in academia, but it was more from either the government or state, or even from a kind of political uh, religious right. And then the change that's taken place really since about the 1960s, 1970s, is that gradually that um, censorship has arisen more from the left, uh, from kind of self-styled progressives. Um, And I think feminism, you're absolutely right, to identify is a key component of that. And it's really interesting when people do surveys of students' attitudes towards free speech on campus. um, You always do notice a gender difference. Um, You always do have uh, the case that boys, uh, boys, young men, Um, students seem to be more relaxed about free speech and more open to the idea of free speech. And it always seems to be young women who are the ones who um, will say, depending on the questions that they're asked in the survey, that kind of safety or not offending people um, whereas the young men will say, you know, free speech is a very important value. The young women are more likely to say emotional safety, not causing offense, are the number one values that they right. think are, are most important. And I mean, I think university as well, again, a bit like teaching, there are a lot more women lecturers nowadays. Um, they do bring feminism into the academy in a much bigger way. But there's also been, um, A lot more kind of promotion of the ideas that some of the ideas theoretical ideas that underpin feminism have kind of gained gained ground in a lot of disciplines so the idea of your own kind of personal truth the importance of your personal experiences these all then become kind of valid topics for classroom discussion so emphasizing the emotional reactions these all become very important. And that idea of safety, of not offending, again, kind of becomes reinforced, perhaps, mm-hmm. by lots of uh, lecturers
0: that students need. How do you think we unpick it? Because even some of the uh, noted female academics who make sort of news, uh, like in the Times for being censored or no platformed, I'm pretty sure they've been happy to no platform and censor views that they didn't agree with. Um, so how did how did we unravel that in education? Like do we just go do we just allow the government to do that thing that they were gonna do with Johnson's brother, that basically fines universities, if you stifle speech, you get massive fines?
1: Yeah, I I personally don't think that's the way to go. I think the problem with that is, well, you can't, you can't, just enforce free speech on people you have to win the argument and that's what's really really difficult about it you can't kind of meet one form of authoritarian that they kind of student authoritarianism and the lecturer authoritarianism with another form of authoritarianism yeah. one real danger is that you then make people into martyrs you make these people who are arguing for safe spaces and no platforming you turn them into martyrs and you make them all the more entrenched in their own position. Um, but I, I just to say I think you're absolutely right about some of the female academics who've been um no platformed for speaking out about trans issues. How, either in the past or personally, I would think even today, you know, they would be happy to support no platforming or to sign petitions against people who they disagree with. And I think that's a really, really important point to make. That you either you agree with free speech or you don't. And if you say I agree with free speech for everybody who agrees with me, <laughs> and I don't want free speech for people whose views I don't like. And that's not actually agreeing with free speech at all. In no. fact, I would say the opposite, free speech is even more important for the views that we disagree with. You know, it's those views that we need to be hearing, the really kind of horrible views. The more we disagree, the more it needs to be out there so that we can challenge it, so we can argue against it and, and kind of learn how to unpick the arguments mm. that we disagree with. Because I think... um There's so much kind of confusion around no platforming nowadays and um, what kind of no platforming means and what it represents. And I think one of the problems is that people have so little faith in each other so little faith in in people essentially or in students at a university that they assume that if someone has is given a platform if somebody's able to speak then that's like an endorsement of their views that everybody will just kind of Foolishly, kind of step into line like sheep. You know, you hear someone say something and you just, are, oh, right, okay, I agree, like a robot, and you go out mm. and act on what somebody said. Whereas in reality, people have critical faculties. You know, people can think about what they're hearing and people can challenge different arguments. And giving someone a platform doesn't mean for one second that you endorse their views, that you agree with them. It's just giving other people an opportunity
0: to challenge what they mm. think. So, I, I mean, I've thought about this free speech thing long and hard. Number one, I don't understand why people can't get past the fact that it's really free speech is very important for the most marginalized, marginalized people in society. So this kind of lefty kind of looking after everyone, but you're not looking after the people right at the bottom. Um, from your research, is, is is there a difference in class about who and um, sex uh, then who promotes or who believes in free speech? Like, are working class people, females more likely to support it?
1: I I don't know. I haven't seen research. But one thing we do know, um, when you look at all the kind of news stories um, that have been around campus censorship, it's the more elite universities. It's your Oxfords, your Cambridge, Durham, Bristol. It's those universities that are the ones where They tend to be most embroiled in these controversies, whereas universities that are lower down the pecking order, which, you know, it's a bit of a crude caricature, but you're more likely to get working class students, are less likely to be involved in these kind of um, controversies. Mm. Now it might be that they haven't got the speakers, but I somehow doubt it. I think it's much more, I think there's probably lots of different things at play. I think, you know, perhaps the students are busy with their lives and don't see a big need to jump up and down. And, you know, if you're kind of juggling your lectures with a part-time job and helping out with your mums still at weekends or whatever you don't have the time and effort to put into jumping up and down about a speaker being invited onto your campus who you don't agree with so I think there's there's probably that element of it also perhaps just a bit more robustness um, Mm -hmm. that we can cope with you know so somebody's going to come and say some controversial things you know We've coped with a lot worse in, in our lives. You know, we can no yeah. doubt cope with this too. Um, but I think what's really interesting about like your Oxfords and Cambridges, where you get these very elite, very middle class, wealthy, privileged students who are the ones making a fuss about no platforming, is that often they're not doing it on behalf of themselves. They'll say, Oh, you know, we're acting. On behalf of transgender students you know we're not transgender ourselves we're just worried about all the other transgender students out there or you know we're acting on behalf of all these other oppressed groups half the time these oppressed groups they don't want you know it's like oh thank you (laughs) we can look after ourselves you know we Mm -hmm. uh, give us the opportunity to hear um, these arguments so, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting things going on there. And I think, like mm. you say, class, sex, you know, these are all interesting
0: factors. Mm. I wonder if they'll still care about those issues when they're living in Singapore working for Coopers. <laughs> I wonder if that would still be something that they routinely do.
1: Do you know what? I think it will be. And I think that's the really I do and I think that's the really horrible thing. I don't know about caring, but almost kind of invested in it and paid to do it. So if you look at kind of Google, Twitter, you know, certainly Facebook, people who work for these companies, it almost becomes part of the identity. I mean, you know, I think the kind of student censorship does spill over now into the real world. You know, they take those ideas that they've learnt at university and are then paid to implement these ideas in the workplace and it's not Mm. just your social media companies but if you are working for HSBC nowadays the chances are you might not be a banker you might be a diversity manager you know and again your role is to implement what you've learned at university in the workplace or you know also we've seen and I'm sure you know you know what I'm on about here um you know the, the kind of rise of the woke advertisement Gillette um you know the advert where it kind of problematized toxic masculinity um or, Most successful you know, that ever men
0: loved it <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you see that like, these kind of ideas that they pick up on campus they then think are the ones that need to be yeah. enacted in the workplace and when you then get are getting paid for putting these ideas into practice you become even more vested of these yeah. ideas
0: it's almost like they have an extended like ridiculously extended adolescence when they work for these companies like facebook and google that they don't seem to have reached adulthood i talked to a radio host and they were saying that the young interns and so on in their office made it quite an unpleasant place to work because everything was policed every microsecond of the day it's um, i think you're right and that's that but that's
1: how they've been taught to kind of behave and they're almost being taught through school through university that this is the correct way to conduct yourself and I think the problem for lots of young people growing up nowadays and I'm not on about so much children now but you know people in their mid-20s something like that is nobody's ever said to them but hang on a minute you're wrong or really Uh challenge them and this is where I think kind of older generation people my age almost need to take a bit of responsibility because we have to challenge young people I think even if we don't change their minds actually put before them some different ideas and really push back and even if it's not challenging but just asking why why do you say that why are you acting in this way who do you think is going to benefit from doing this and just making them think a bit more critically because the really sad thing is I think it shouldn't be down to us as individuals you know this should be what education has done it should have been teachers and lecturers who've really encouraged them to think critically but sadly I don't think they've got that from school or university and so now when they go out into the workplace you know nobody has ever challenged them about their ideas and I think we
0: really need to well it's I think the schools have stopped using the word no they do sort of restorative justice I just think why don't you tell the person (laughs) let's just punch that kid in the arm four times today why don't you just say stop doing it because I said so, you know, no, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to repeatedly bang the desk, not let's all sit down and have a circle time and a discussion, no, the word, the word is no. I quite like the word no, it's a very <laughs> powerful word.
1: No I think you're absolutely right on schools. I mean that's totally you absolutely sum up what's happening in schools, but I think one of the problems is that this has crept into parenting as well. Um, I think we've had so many parenting experts tell us over the years that our instincts as mothers you know how we would instinctively react to like one you know if you've got more than one child and one punches the other, how you would instinctively react is is wrong and to kind of um, not go with your instincts which would be to pull them apart and, you know, the one who's done the punching, you know, and if you ever do that again, um, but to kind of sit them down and wonder what's the psychological problem that's leading one of them to feel like punching his brother. And, you know, we've been undermined, I think, as parents and particularly as mothers to not trust ourselves, to not kind of Mm. feel confident in being able to just say no It's bedtime. You will go to bed. You will turn off your phone. You will sit down for dinner. You know, we've we've had our confidence chipped away at, I think, by so many parenting
0: experts who want to tell us that we've got it wrong. I agree. And I think the lack of family and that we don't live near family. So normally you might have your own mother who would sort of reinforce the more um, normal parenting or you'd have a grandparent or, I mean, I've been in a soft play in mainland China where another grandmother whacked a three-year-old for punching a little, and it wasn't hers. And she didn't know the three-year-old and the other grandparents just, nobody said anything, but the child got a whack. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that that's all right to hit strangers' children, but even that little thing. So I remember my children misbehaving in a being and In the queue, I must have been away with the fairies, but I was quite tired. I was sort of fixed like this. And they were playing with those steel rules, which are quite dangerous and annoying, and they shouldn't have touched them. And the guy must have told them off and then apologized to me. And I said, oh, what did they do? And he goes, oh, I'm very, very sorry. And I said, well, I just want to know what they did. And he said, oh, they were touching that. And so then I told them off as well, because... I want my kids to be decent humans. And he was sort of aghast. He thought I was gonna have a go at him because we've blurred this line between adults and children. Anyway, I'm looking at the time and I really want to ask you this because I'm desperately hoping you can answer. (laughs) So we skirted around the trans issue. And I know you've written extensively about it. And for that, myself and most women I know, Absolutely grateful, and Spike do some good work, but you in particular write some exceptional articles on this. However, why are mums more likely to go along with transitioning their children than dads?
1: Well, it's a really, really good question, and I think it very much ties in with what you were just saying about parenting, um, about how we worry about saying no to our children nowadays, and we've um, been Undermined, like I said, but I think particularly as mothers, and I think we all worry so much. We want you want to get it right, you know, as a mother, you you want to, you know, that that's what love is, you know, you want to do the best for your child. You you desperately want to get it right, and we're we're so we've been taught so much. I think that you know you can fuck it up as parents, and if you fuck it up, you know your child's going to be screwed up for the rest of their lives, and it will all be your fault. You'll be to blame. And I think mothers in particular really internalize this message. And then when you get a lot of the propaganda, and it is complete propaganda that says things like, um, you know, it's better to have um, a living daughter than a dead son or, you know, um, the, the one of the things that I think transgender activists do that 's absolutely shameful is use suicide as a form mm-hmm. of emotional blackmail um way out of all reality in relation to statistics, but this idea that you know when your child comes out and says that they're questioning their their gender identity, the immediate thing you're thinking about is oh you know depression, suicide, mental illness, and as if if you don't kind of confirm what they're saying, you're doing irreparable psychological harm to your child, your child will, you know, potentially kill themselves. And I think that weighs so heavily on a mother's conscience, and you're so determined to want to get it right, and to be nice and to be kind. Um, that that women end up going along with it which I think doesn't mean to say that they're going along with it inside you know inside they're probably having all kinds of turmoil and upset about why this has happened why is their daughter doing this um, but to the outside world and particularly in relation to their daughter I think that the fear of not confirming it when that's what you're told to do by every transgender activist group you know by mermaids by all these groups say you know number Number one, you must confirm um, that what the child's view of themselves is when everybody's telling you that that's the right thing to do, and mm. you're desperately out of your depth. You're searching around what's the right thing to do. You're really desperate to get it right. You think that's what you have to do, and and it's tragic because it just emphasizes the delusion. It makes the whole
0: thing so much worse. I've come across many an MRA uh, and otherwise. Uh, Uh, normal men who and I mean MRA in a disparaging way which is probably a terrible thing to do but not just but but men that actively really seemingly don't like women um, not just men's rights activists who are seeking equality Uh, and they basically have this moment of joy when they tell women such as myself that feminism is to blame for trans activism. Now I have tried to get a coherent argument as to why they think that, but none is such is uh, as yet forthcoming. Do you think the two things are linked? Do you think feminism has paved the way? And if it has, can you articulate what that argument is?
1: Yeah, I think, um feminism has, to some extent, to a very, very limited extent, paved the way. And I think um, one of the things that's happened over uh, the past kind of 10, 15, well, probably more like over the past 20 years, at least, um, is that we've had a real problematizing of gender and gender and kind of a problematizing of sex, of gender, and of gender relations, and of how what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a man is what I'm getting at here. So if you were to go back in time 50 years, or, you know, even further back than 50 years, you know, if you were a girl, you would grow up to be a woman and women played a certain role in society. You know, you'd be a mother or there were certain jobs that were suitable for women to do. If you were a boy, you'd grow up to be a man and men were expected to act in a certain way, to look a certain way. There were certain jobs that men were more inclined to do than women, more, seen as more socially acceptable. And I think two things have happened. One thing, you know, there have been some very real changes in the world. So the kind of heavy industry that particularly working class men might have been employed in, Mm -hmm. that's gone, you know, and legally women can now work in any industry, any sector of industry that they want. So you've had some very material changes to the lives of women and men in that way. But then you've also had feminism, which has um, really challenged a lot of the stereotypes and a lot of the presumptions that we had about what it meant to be a man and what it meant to be a woman. And on the one hand, there's a fair bit that's very, very positive about that. You know, I wouldn't want to go back to a time where you know women were forced to only do certain jobs to behave in a particular way men were forced to act in a particular way you know and this kind of throwing up into the air of what it means to be a man what it means to be a woman is is kind of quite good you know there's a lot to be said for it and to move away from some of the very old fashioned ideas that people had in the past it's a lot more liberating to be able to do what you want but i think one of the problems is is that we haven't really had any kind of new positive ideas so it's like we've thrown all the pieces of the jigsaw up into the air and we said uh-huh. you can be whatever you want to be you know there's no rules anymore there's no stereotypes there's no legal restrictions on what you can do the entire jigsaw has just been flipped up and what we haven't done to young people is give them any advice and any guidance or any structure Mm. on how to shape being a man being a woman in a kind of new and positive way so I think feminism has played a role in kind of throwing up the jigsaw pieces and not putting down a new positive idea. So if you go right back to what we were talking about right at the very beginning of this conversation, what feminism's done is it's thrown up in the air what it means to be a woman. It's no longer about being a mother, staying at home. You know, those things have now been called into question as whether these are positive things. And I think there's a lot positive in it. But feminism's kind of thrown it up in the air, as problematized this. But rather than replacing it with a really positive view, look, you can go and do this, you can go and do that. It said everything's really shit. You know, there's (laughs) nothing good about being a woman anymore. So that in that respect, then what's happened and what feminism's played a part in is really kind of giving everybody in the country a kind of national psychosis, a national kind of problem about what does it mean to be a man what does it mean to be a woman and Mm. it's not provided any solutions to these problems you know having said that I'm very very conscious that some of the people who are most challenging for transgender movement nowadays are the kind of ideology that underpins it do come from the radical feminists you know and I would um very very happily align myself with a lot of those women above and beyond the women who are just kind of harking on about posters on the tube or the price of pink razor blades and that kind of thing
0: well I I could could literally talk to you for the next five hours I think (laughs) I'm gonna have to have you uh on every month because anytime honestly i didn't cover half i didn't cover half (laughs) of the stuff that i intended to but um thank you so much and it's been a
1: joy absolutely i loved every minute thank you and yeah anytime anytime definitely
0: please don't forget to like share and subscribe and if you wish support me on patreon woman by definition